Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to T3M. You already know who the three hosts are, but we're joined here with a special guest today, uh, Gabriel Al-Romani. How's it going? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Ayakum Allah, alhamdulillah. Walaikum assalam. Yeah, so uh, Gabriel, man, I've been kind of following you for a while, watching your videos on YouTube. Tremendous work you're doing for the Muslim community. I find a lot of benefit from your dawah, but for those of uh, our viewers that don't really know you, haven't seen you yet, uh, why not a quick summary and introduction? Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam rasulillah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, most merciful. So my name is Gabriel, I was born in Romania, Eastern Europe, um, what, about 37 year old, old now, mashallah. So I was born 1983 in a different millennium and a different century. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. And um, moved from Romania to Canada. I've undertaken my education in Canada, started high school in Canada. Um, that is also where I've met Muslims for the first time in my life. Uh, coming from Romania, I hated Muslims. I hated Islam because that's what we're taught to do. You know, that was part of our um, of our upbringing, our history, our uh, literacy, everything has to do with Muslims being terrorists and, you know, the same type of stuff that you hear today. So coming into Canada, I was able to meet Muslims, alhamdulillah, and see a contradiction between what I was taught and what I experienced, which obviously caused some doubts for me and helped me to look into it more. So I embarked on a journey, let's say about five years of solid research, praying, very spiritual, a lot of guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, where I kind of left Christianity, just praying to the one creator, you know, which I always advise people to do when they seek the truth, you know, to just put all everything aside and just pray to their creator. And alhamdulillah, by his blessing, you know, through the dawah of a very good brother and other brothers, you know, some a Bosnian brother and some Arab brothers, I was able to embrace Islam in my first university, which was a big uh, help for me. It really saved me, you can say, because man, first year university is very tough. Alhamdulillah. So Alhamdulillah, I undertook my studies in uh, biology and psychology, neuroscience and cognition. I've done research in Parkinson's disease. Then I went on to do a degree in education, and then, yeah, so the first year I converted to Islam, then I did a degree in Islamic studies, alhamdulillah, later on, then education, I became a teacher, moved to the, to the Middle East, where I started to work, and Allah has blessed me to, you know, just, you know, study there, embrace the culture, uh, live with the Bedouins, and just, I fell in love with, you know, just with the culture, was able to travel to 40 countries, alhamdulillah, from that hub because it's so easy, you know, all the way from the west to the east and to work with them. You know, my passion was education and psychology uh, development. And I think that's where I identified, especially dealing with my students. I think my, my best times for me was when I was a teacher. And so I taught in the West, in Canada, USA. Uh, then I taught in the East, you know, in the Far East. 
And that's when I realized that we are having the same problem. You know, people tell you that, oh, in the West, we have different issues. You guys in the East have different issues. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Don't take from the East, you know, <laughs> take from the West, stuff like that. I don't know. Like, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, they're just, I call them, uh, what do you call them? Uh, uh, they're just travelers, like just tourists, you know, just kind of stopping by here and there. If you get to live with the people, you get to know that we're having the same issue. So I asked myself, okay, what do I position myself in this ummah as a new Muslim at that time? And how can I solve some of the problems? I saw all my uh, skill sets. I said, okay, education and psychology, right? I understand the human brain, the human psyche, how it works. And alhamdulillah, you know, I understand education and I was blessed to, to study some, you know, Islamic studies, alhamdulillah. So I said, okay, let me combine this and see how I can solve the problem of, uh, you know, in the world. And that was, I started with the problem of identity. It was in general, a crisis of identity within the Muslim ummah. Okay. Then again, introspecting, traveling, you know, people started seeing some of my, more, my work. I started um, being called to like Huda TV, Peace TV, Dr. Zakanaik, Dr. Muhammad Salah. So I did some shows which were quite different and they liked it. it was, you know, one was called Sunnah style and the other was called Mashakil uh, al-Shabaab or problems of the youth, youth problems. And that was like aired on Saudi and all over. So sometimes my students would come, teacher, teacher, I saw you on TV, you know? Uh, it was like translated in Arabic and whatnot. And I think it allowed for the students to connect to me and to open up and to, to see that, okay, we can kind of like talk to this guy. So then a lot more was coming towards me, you know, a lot of issues. Um, I realized that in the, in the East, for example, there's a lot of issues of, of, of sexual orientation, homosexuality and stuff like that in the students, in the Muslim students, confusion, uh, Westernization, you know, the lack of understanding Islam, there's just so many problems, but all of them would come to the issue of identity, you know, and, and post-colonial, you know, trauma. So then I said, okay, what else can I, I need to, it's quite general, it's too general, and I need to focus a bit more. How do I focus this a bit more, right? So I was working with, okay, schools and becoming, a, you know, I was a school principal, I became a school principal, so now I was exposed to more issues and more problems within the systems as well, looking at the systems, and um, I got to understand a lot more. So then I said, okay, so I'm working in education. I'm a school principal, dealing with curriculum, you know, traveling to Muslim countries. Uh, I became a school consultant. So people would call me to help them with their, you know, setting up schools or, you know, systems or pro projects for youth, youth or anything like that. I said, okay, it's still quite general, you know, still quite general. And then um, I was doing khutbas as well, alhamdulillah, uh, during all this time. And people would come again after the khutbahs and, and start opening up to me because of the subjects that I would talk about in the khutbah. Like I would talk on the member about some of these things that I'm talking even now in my, in my lectures, you know? And so parents would come, youth would come. So I connected the dots and I said, okay, let me look into the da'wah scene and what's happening. So I saw a lot of people talking about, mashallah, salah and siyam and qiyam and, you know, tazkiyah. Alhamdulillah, we need that. We really, really, really need that, right? And then I saw that not too many people are talking about marriage and social issues, psychology, uh, you know, ilmul nafs, and uh, the problems they were facing, identity crisis, the the attack on the ummah, 
be it from the liberals, the LGBTQT community and so many things that are somehow connected. And then I realized that we're suffering as Muslims from a very, very severe problem. And that is we're losing our fitra. You know, we are losing the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us. You know, Allah has created us in a certain way. And that, that fitra is key. If it stays intact, I believe that people can and do receive revelation much easier. They understand Islam easier and they're willing to come to Islam much, much easier. As soon as you mess that fitra up, then I believe that it becomes much, much harder for people to accept, you know, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says something or the Prophet sallam, uh, says something, right? So that's for both Muslims and non-Muslims. Then I narrow it down a bit more and I said, okay, what can I do as a man? I realized, I said, my God, you know, having worked with boys in boys' schools, especially in the Middle East, I said, we are losing our masculinity, our fitra. So I said, let me focus as much as I can on that. So I counsel right now. I'm a counselor. I'm a school principal. And I try to combine all my work on this kind of one thing. You know, how do I bring back or protect the fitra of males? People say, why males? Because I'm a male, number one. Okay. And because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it's men who are responsible in the first place to bring about the change in this world. Men were sent as prophets. All prophets were men. Um, it is in accountability, it's a responsibility. So that's why I think there's a systematic war against masculinity. It's systematic. This is not a conspiracy theory. It's systematic. It is in education. It is in the healthcare system. It is in the media. And if you don't wake up, we're going to be losing ourselves soon. You know, the reduction of the gender gap, gender roles, so many things. It comes under a political agenda, under a social agenda, um, legally. But in the end, it is a clear war on masculinity. So basically, my work revolves pretty much around that, be it that's in the school, dealing with the students. Okay. And yes, I do talk to, 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 to girls as well. I mean, I have lady students who come to me and sometimes they feel more comfortable to talk to a man because they say, okay, what you're saying is, is true. And we don't want to talk to the girls because the girls are just too, you know, into themselves. They just, they, they, want, they want me to do what they did or they want me to go through the same failures or problems that they did so we can connect on a feminine level, you know? <laughs> so uh, I do, I, this is the truth. I deal with within a proper halal environment uh, you know, there's there's a lot of problems. That, so yes, women will realize that, hey, you know what, this is a problem. And I think uh, we need more of this. So alhamdulillah, so I deal with my students, I deal with parents, and I deal with uh, people from all over the world as a counselor um, from all walks of life, all, uh, all uh, you know, cultures who are Muslim, who, are, who need help and support in Islamic, you know, counseling, psychology, to help them understand their fitra, and how to, to fix any issues, be it deen, be it social and whatnot. And of course, me being a new Muslim, of course, a lot of the people that I come to me are going to be new Muslims. And that's another, you know, kind of, it's a different problem, but yet it's related. I mean, new Muslims, I'm sure for you guys who are new Muslims, maybe any one of you converted to Islam, 
you know that in the end, your past is quite hard to forget. You know, in psychology, we call it a total past learning history. You know, the total past learning history is, is something that defines who we are today. And, you know, alhamdulillah, for the guidance of Allah, um, and that kind of controls and reshapes, you know, our, our psychology in the present. But indeed, sometimes, you know, some things you cannot, you cannot forget. So some of the issues that new Muslims bring forth are not the same as some of the issues that people were born into, uh, into a Muslim family are, but they're still connected. So alhamdulillah, recently I released my book, Journal of a New Muslim that deals with some of these things, some of my memoirs and some of my thoughts growing up as a new Muslim, you know, as a young man, because I became Muslim when I was like, what, 19, 20. It was quite early. And I started researching Islam when I was 13, 14. So that time was a very, very turbulent time. A lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. Like I've gone through depression three times in my life, severe depression. So that's why, you know, when I, connect to people or I counsel people have depression I'm like don't worry I know how you feel you know so anyway the book focuses on some of these issues it's quite a personal book it's quite it's basically my experiences and talking about I talk about masculinity talk about education talk about new Muslims talk about marriage the difficulties of around marriage these days so in a nutshell that's pretty much who I am and what I do I live in Malaysia right now I'm a school principal for Alhamra Integrated School in Kuala Lumpur, and uh, alhamdulillah, I love uh, martial arts, I love to stay fit, and working with a lot of men to help them to come back to masculinity, fitra, um, you know, the, the Sahaba style, the way that the companions of the Prophet and more, that's our standard, so alhamdulillah, you know, uh, it's, it's some great work that we are doing together. And uh, I'm very excited. I mean, every, every day I wake up and I'm just excited to be given this opportunity by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to serve people, to help them and, and to connect to them. And it's just so rewarding. Like, alhamdulillah, you know, I'm just 2020 was a tough year for many people because of the lockdown. It was just an excellent year for me. And I don't like to rub it in people's faces, but it was just the best, probably one of the best years of my life, you know. I've done so much. It was just so much improvement in terms of and you know my my own personal studies, my development, my work, my finances, things like that. You know, things went up and down, but Alhamdulillah, it was, it was just great. Alhamdulillah. So, this is uh, Gabriel Oman for you. <laughs> Mashallah, Alhamdulillah. So yeah, man. Jazakallah uh, for all that. It was a wonderful introduction. Uh, so two things I want to get out there right now. One we can connect with you definitely and we can relate to you in the fact that waking up every day and serving others and spreading the truth, uh, helping the ummah and helping non-Muslims, it truly is fulfilling and it's rewarding. It's, it's something we're very new into, but we're, we're beginning to see how, how rewarding it is uh, intrin intrinsically. And uh, the second thing is, I got a quick question for you. So you mentioned you've been a reaver for 17, 18 years, right? Uh, okay. So everyone has a turning point when they, when it just clicks for them, when they know that, okay, there's no doubt that Islam is the truth. So for you, when was this turning point? What was, what was going on during that? What was it for you? Okay. So as I, I told you guys, I moved from Romania to Canada. So that was a quite a, and again, I think looking back at what happened in my life at that time, I feel that 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, brings us to certain points in our lives. I think every human being goes through this. You know, they have this, this, uh, you're kind of like at a crossroads, you know, everyone's thinking, okay, this is a time where, what is the point in my life? Why, why is this, why are these things happening? Everyone, whether they're poor or rich, whether they're suffering, whether they're healthy or sick, at some point in your life, you know, the human being is going to ask himself this question, like, is there more to this life than this? You know what I mean? So for me, that point came quite early and some things in your life will speed that process and facilitate that to happen. And some others, you know, I mean, there's great many people who live in like Beverly Hills and drive Porsches and whatnot, <laughs> but still they do stop and they're like, you know, what the heck is, what's going on? What's, what's my life for? Is it just for this Porsche and this house? And you see that, you see that on media, you see that in, you know, that people do come, even if they're coming from a higher social class. So for me at that time, my parents just divorced. Uh, my brother was, you know, into drugs and, you know, he became a gangster and whatnot, you know, because I guess that was something that he was being brainwashed all the way back from Romania, the, the American, you know, concept of, you know, being a thug and being cool and whatnot. So he went that way. And I was, um, you know, with my mom and I was working full time. Like, I mean, 14, 13, 14, I started working full time. Since then, I didn't stop. Like, since then, I've been basically working, you know, day and day and day and day. And it was tough, you know, because we are immigrants. We were uh, new to Canada. And yes, we're white Caucasians, but subhanAllah, it's so weird, you know, like uh, my mom experienced so much discrimination, you know, uh, there's just so much racism and discrimination in the West that is just crazy, you know, people don't understand, forget about people are of color, you know, that's even, you know, crazier, uh, people don't understand. So, like we, we had a hard time, you know, uh, I'll be washing dishes at night and I'll be studying in the morning. I'll be working in a factory, you know, in, in the trash, uh, you know, at night and or after school and I'll be studying in the morning. So it was, it was quite a tough time. So that time kind of pushed me towards questioning certain things and meeting the Muslims, you know, helped me to question my background and what I was taught and Canada being a bit, you know, more of an open country, I started researching or library, taking books, I would hide them under my pillow, because I was embarrassed, to be honest, and I didn't want my mom to know, like, I was, I was, I was considered a very religious Christian person in my family, like, my mom would come to me as an adult and ask me for advice, you know what I mean, like, she would be like the first person I've ever counseled, you know, like proper counseling, you're talking about like a, a two year, you know, session with her when going to my father's divorce, you know, where I would walk her to work, holding her hand and walk her back home. Um, so it was a tough time. And that time made me think a lot. And it was that time when I abandoned Christianity because I realized that it was not the truth. I was going to a Christian school, a Christian theological school, uh, discussing with the priests, discussing with the religious teachers, uh, discussing with the Muslims on the other side. And basically I just said, okay, this is, this is not it. This is not it. I'm not yet going to jump into Islam. So I started studying all kinds of different religions. But I knew that, it's, uh, that Christianity is not it. I knew that God exists, no doubt. I mean, really, you have to be a fool when you look around in the world. Just simple. Just look at the sunset and the sunrise, that perfection of that system, to think that there's, you know, that there's no creator or something like that. It's just, there's no way. There's no way. 
So that was not a doubt in my mind whatsoever. And um, I think because I was coming from that spiritual background, Christianity, I was praying a lot and while doing the research, while talking. And of course, this is not necessarily, this is quite subjective, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was like guiding me. I had certain dreams that were happening, certain intense experiences where, again, I'm not using it as a proof when I talk to people about Islam because that's personal, but um, it was just so, so powerful. And, you know, it was just pushing me to look more and more and more and more, right? So I think it was about the first year of university where finally, um, and I was reading the Quran every single day. And I think the one thing that really got me was that I was trying so hard to not come to Islam. You know, I was trying really hard because, you know, I had the girl and I had the car and I had the popularity, you know. I mean, yeah, I was cool. I was driving a Nissan 300 ZX in, in grade 12, you know, like I was, I was, I was pimping, you know, as, as, a, as a grade 12 guy, you know. I was, uh, you know, uh, very, I was in the newspaper, I was playing football, I was a, you know, superstar in the, in the soccer team and, um, you, know, my, you know, I had a girlfriend, my girlfriend, her father was a promoter for boxing from Prince Nassim Hamed, you know, so they were, you know, they're balling and it was like, you know, cool, my brother was a gangster, like everything was like, wow, you know, and I was looking for an excuse not to. You know, and I was reading the Quran and I remember it was like a war, like every day I would try to reach like a page and I would stick to that. And then I would just like be so excited to get back to it at night and read again. And I felt like it was reading me, you know, like I felt like I thought I'm going to read it and just like find something and then just put it off, you know. But I felt like the Quran was was talking to me, was reading me, and especially like with the difficulties that are going on. And at that time, I was, I was on the outside. It looked like I was so successful and so amazing. But on the inside, I was, I was dying, you know, because I just felt that God was calling me. I was denying it. I was confused because of the, you know, the, the, you know, all the lies that I heard my whole life. And I changed. I left Christianity, you know, the problems with my brother, the problems with my family. And I was just so depressed. You know, I was just so depressed. I was even contemplating suicide. That was, the, that was the first and only time I kind of thought about suicide, you know. And I was quite young, you know. And I was like, what the heck? And I went to a doctor, you know. I went to, the, to a psychologist. And he just like, he didn't put his hands on me. He just like looked at me and he said, you know, okay, just take this medicine. And I was like, what the heck? You know, this is not good. That's not how you do it, right? And most people still today, they still say that that's how the shrinks and the psychiatrists work. They just give you medicine and just, you know, take it. So I was in a huge depression and I think, you know, that, that helped me so much. It was such a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to open up because I was so arrogant. And if that would have not happened, that arrogance would have not been in check because yes, I looked arrogant. I behaved arrogant. I was so successful, but inside I knew that I was breaking and that like, wait a second, like I'm so weak. You know what I mean? I'm not that strong. Like I need divine intervention. And it was at that time reading the Quran that I was like realizing that, you know what, that's it, you know? So I had a, I had a dream one, one night that I was, yeah, and I got stabbed and I died, you know? And then I think that's the one that really, it was so vivid. And that's the one that really uh, pushed me to say, you know what, God, if tomorrow I die, am I really 
You know, I know what's right. Why am I hesitating? Why am I stopping myself? And I think many people, bros, you know, many people that I met over the past 17 years are in the same position. They'll say something like Islam is the best religion, you know, like if I were to pick a religion, it is Islam, but I can't give up this or but I can't give up that. Right. I can't do this. I can't change that. You know, they think you have to be an angel to become a Muslim, you know. And that's why my strategy is like, look, man, don't worry about it. Just take shahada. No, but I drink. I'm like, don't worry about it. Just take shahada. No, but I have girls. I'm like, yeah, I know. Me too. I had girls, you know. You know, that's what, that's the truth. I mean, when I became Muslim, I still, you know, I was still, you know, on the scene. So people just need to take the step, you know. They, you know, you know. It's just your heart, your mind, everything knows. Islam is the only thing that is real. It's no fairy tales. It's no like a Sunday thing or Saturday thing or Friday thing. It deals with real life. I mean, that's real life problems. And that's why the whole world wants to shut it up, wants to quiet it because it is a solution to humanity's problems. And people don't want solutions because if people figure out how to solve their problems personally, then they don't have to pay this one or that one or they cannot be controlled by you know a group of people. So definitely that's why people want to quiet Islam down. Alhamdulillah, man. There's a there's a video by Muhammad Hablas about uh, why you don't pray or why you don't pray or why don't you don't do salah, and he was talking about how a lot of brothers and sisters are like, oh, I'm gonna do salah when I quit alcohol or I'm gonna do salah when I quit gambling, and he keeps saying he's like, no, do salah anyway. I don't care if you mentally think you're gonna be a hypocrite, do salah anyway, and salah will bring you away from those sins, and you know that's that reminds me of what you said when you do the shahada and you become a Muslim. Then you have that guilt. <clears throat> you got that guilt going that, okay, now I can't drink or now I know I'm doing something wrong. So there's no more like, okay, when I become a Muslim, I'm going to stop. Now you become a Muslim and that makes you stop. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You got to just mm -hmm. take, the, take the step, you know? And I think a lot of people are caught up in this and the shaitan is very smart. He's going to try to make you think that you're a hypocrite. And as you said, right? Uh, there's a difference between someone who's like, praying and just showing up like you know that you're just putting up a front versus someone who is genuinely struggling you know what i mean like they're struggling with alcohol they're struggling with pornography they're struggling with zina like the people that i counsel man like i'm talking about suicide depression anxiety then porn drugs alcohol zina homosexuality lesbianism you name it bro but these people are coming because they want to stop there's a difference between someone who knows that they're, you know, they got a problem and it's a war, you know, there's a war inside mm -hmm. the quiet chambers of their hearts, you know, there's just this huge jihad that's taking place and they're trying to fight it. And there's a difference between that person, and the person who's like, you know, consciously knows that, yeah, I'm just going to pray just so, you know, show people or just appear pious, you know, be hypocrite. You know, that's a big, big difference, you know, so, but the shaitan is smart. He's going to tell those people, I see you're a hypocrite, you know, don't pray, stop, you know, lose hope, stuff like that. And that's his, that's his objective. He wants to smash you, you know, he wants to put you down. You're right. Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah. Uh, so I know I really want to go into masculinity right now because it's, it's a very good topic that I feel like more people got to be aware of and, and enlightened on. But before we go on, I know Arnold is a new revert, so it's okay if you can't fully answer this to the extent that the other two do. But I got a question for all three of you. So the question is, I want you guys to tell me one big problem that you see in today's Muslim man. Because I know 
um, you know, Brother Gabriel was talking about how we're losing our touch with the fitra. So my first question is, you know, what is a big problem all three of you see? Just one in today's Muslim man. I want you to then give me one problem you see in today's Muslim woman as well. So we'll start with Angel, then Rami, and we'll end it off with Gabriel. Dude, I think I have no answer because I'm too fresh. I don't know. How about this? Before Before Rami gives us his two cents, how about just in today's modern man period, the average man? So what's the biggest problem with today? Yeah, just one. Modern and then man. I want you to give me one for, for women. Uh, for men, it's pornography. And for women, it is polygamy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you already know what... Uh, what some comments are going to be like. But anyway, Rami, let's go with you. Yeah, subhanAllah. I feel like any problem that men have these days are either going to be a reflection of a lack of masculinity or a lack of Islam, a lack of understanding in Islam. Because if you practice Islam as a full practicing Muslim, you're bound to be in your masculine because of the responsibilities you have to you know, uphold. So those are the root causes. But a lot of the time, one of the biggest problems I see with men is one, complaining about issues and two, forgetting they are the problem solvers, right? Because a lot of the, I see a lot of men complaining about mm. what other men do and about what women do, and they become kind of blackpilled, and they don't understand that, okay, you're looking at the end result, right? The issue starts here, and here's what you could do to fix and better your life. But a lot of men nowadays, they just complain, whether it's about Islam or about their life, they're just complaining. Alhamdulillah. What about women? Women specifically? Muslim I, women today. Yeah, I feel, I feel they're also complaining, except they're complaining on the other end of the spectrum, right? So again, it starts with a lack of understanding of Islam. And two, I feel like a lot of them are blaming men for problems that they're unwilling to accept as women, right? And a lot of the time, like the, the whole discussion of mahr, right? It is there to protect a woman, it is her right. But they forget something like it's supposed to be light. It's sunnah to keep it light because it's supposed to protect you, but it's not supposed to, you know, murder the guy. It's not supposed to put him in financial debt. He's supposed to support you, right? Um, and so on and so forth. But I feel like the issue is, the reason I said men is because a lot of the time, women's issues start with men. Because as men, if all good and bad things start with us, that's a problem women have as well. And a lot of the time, there is things like domestic abuse from men. But if a woman, a lot of the time, this is what we talk about. If a man's not in his masculine, the woman's not going to be in her feminine, right? So again, even then, even then, it kind of starts with the men as the leader. But again, women are held accountable. And uh, it's hard to summarize it. But it goes back to, I think, feminism. Them trying to be the man is, is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah. Mashallah, man. He's uh, he's the youngest one of us and uh, looks like he's the most woke so far. No, I'm just playing. Uh, and then Gabriel, I want to hear your your opinion on it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with my brothers, Mashallah. I think they were very specific. Uh, sorry, how do I how do I pronounce your name? Uh, because in Romanian, Ayat. the way your name is spe- spelled, Angel, is like a um, proper Romanian name, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like that, but it's um Angel. I'm here. Are, are you a, a, a Latin, Latino? Yep. Yep. Okay. Because in Romania, it's the Angel. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It means angel, right? It does, yes. 
Yeah, that's the same thing in Spanish. We got a, a whole lot of peeps pronouncing your name. Angle. Uh, Angel. No, 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 we got no, no. a lot of different ways. Angel, bro. Angel. So just just for yeah, everyone nice. right now, PSA to Angel. It's actually a cool name, yeah. Okay, um, so I totally agree with you guys. I'm going to be a bit more general. Like, I think for both, and in my counseling, I always say to couples, if you guys can fix these two issues on both sides, then things can, everything else can be solved. Number one is the issue of aqidah. You know, I think people don't understand. That's tied to what Rami said, like knowledge, you know, and people don't know. And, you know, aqidah, people think it's like, okay, uh, let us discuss and debate certain things and this and that. It's very theoretical. No, aqidah is, is so much more. It's, a lot of it has to do with practice, you know. So you believe something and then you implement that, you know. You know, like Allah subhanahu keeps going back to that in those who believe and do or practice the righteous deeds, right? Just the concept of salah. People say, I'm praying. No, Allah subhanahu throughout the Quran doesn't say, you know, wasallu or sallu, okay? Usually we say, waqimu salah. You know, there's a niqam of the salah, there's a system there's of implementation, right? So I always say, if your aqidah is correct and you implement it, you understand who is Allah, you understand your deen, as uh, you know, as Angel said, it's like, you know, there's, then you understand Allah is watching, you understand issues of responsibilities, you understand the sisters, yeah, they'll have uh, jealousy, but they will submit in the end, right? Because this is the thing, Islam is submission, it's not about like, yeah, everything's going to be fine and dandy, it's about submission, you push yourself, you work yourself to accept the rulings of Islam. You know what I mean? And slowly, slowly, do you, you do internalize them and slowly, slowly becomes part of it, right? People think it's just, okay, you just make the transition so simple, you know, move from here to here. No, it takes time, right? So I say the number one thing, again, Aqidah. Number two, number two, it's sex. Okay, it's sex. And I always tell couples, if sex is good, intimacy is good, so aqidah, you guys are compatible in deen. So the man is his deen is good. The woman, her deen is good. Alhamdulillah. If intimacy and sex is good, a man don't need to go to pornography. Women don't have to worry about, you know, other stuff. Things are okay, you know. So actually, subhanAllah, 17 years I have of counseling and dealing with couples. And if these two things, are, the, the couples are compatible and they can fix these issues, every other problem, family, this, culture, that, a uh, job, money, mahal, this, that. In the end, all these things can be solved. But if you're not compatible when it comes to your knowledge and application of Islam, if you don't fix that, then it it, it triples into it triggers into uh, so many problems, right? And then if your intimacy is not good, because I mean, look at that, right? So, what does Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has created men? has taught men, okay, then he has given him a woman, right? <laughs> Do you see? It's like, okay, man is there, he needs knowledge, okay, he's got a woman, and then they come together. What's the, what's nikah? You know, what's, what's the building block of this, of this, of this nation, of this ummah? Why are we suffering? It's because the individual building block of the family of the ummah is suffering, the family is suffering, the community in turn is suffering, the ummah is suffering in turn, right? And people, sadly, because of the, as as, as Angel said, you know, the things such as pornography and media, and you know, 
sex has become something dirty while it used to be something so beautiful and always to be called making love you know now it's just called you know either the f word or sex, this or that or so much you know and we've all been affected by that like come on when i talk to my clients i'm like look man we've all been affected and conditioned because of that you know what i mean so it, it's a big problem so these two of these two are solved for both men and women these are two problems if they get fixed i think we can deal with the other problems. There's a lot of other problems, but we can deal with everything else. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, man. There's, there's indeed a, a crisis in masculinity among men that I really want to go into right now. But I know the other two weren't uh, as involved so far because uh, we were all taking our time just listening and you know, just paying attention, man, because we love to hear you talk. But before you go in on this, do you all have any questions, anything you want to note off on what we discussed so far? I just want to put emphasis on what Brother Gabriel just said because I feel like it's going to go over the heads of a lot of people, but like I want to emphasize it even more. The issue of Aqidah fundamentally, right, is either it's going to make or break people, person, uh, you know, the Ummah as a whole. Because think about it, all fights, hatred, whatever it is, is based on a disagreement. And now take that disagreement and make it the fundamental belief of your purpose in life and everything around that. People are going to literally fight toe and nail or teeth and nail, whatever the saying is, because of that. But if we can agree on la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah and then dispute on little issues and not have a big problem, we would be way better off. In the time of, um, I forgot what the, the leader was, but it was soon after the Prophet said, um, the son, son of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu was still alive, right? Uh, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum. They sent him to a people who were fighting horribly about aqidah, about aqidah, right? Fundamental issues. He went to them. He said, listen, all you stop, focus on the Quran. And they came together because they all believed in the Quran. So if this is true for an entire nation, of, of course, it's going to be true for marital relations, you know, friendships, all so on and so forth. And then obviously, uh, intimacy is, is a big part for everybody so i don't think that really needs to, i don't really need to say much mm-hmm. on that but um those two points i i really want people like i want to drill into people's head those are the most important things which is why every time someone comes to me i tell them register for i3 or go to some dawa course and learn the fundamentals before you learn the rulings and all of that because a lot of the time it ends up pushing people away but that was my my two cents at the end there real quick for anyone uh any of our viewers wondering what aqidah means like translation in english um, aqidah, aqidah, theology. Pardon me. Like your your core belief, your theology. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I was gonna say like linguistically. The most important. Yeah, linguistically, it's um, it's I believe it's what the heart is tied to. That's what it means linguistically. But conventionally, it does mean you know in Islam, it's uh, belief. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds good. Anhu, you got anything? Uh, Rami, you're in Canada. Yeah, I, see drinking, I see you drinking Tim Hortons, bro. That's uh, <laughs> killing me. <man. laughs> so real quick, where were you when you were in Canada? Because I, I grew up in Toronto. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure even Anna's heard of Toronto. Come on now. And uh, then I moved to a city called Mississauga. And I currently live in Waterloo. Cool. Yeah, I was in Windsor most of my life. Oh, man, that's close to the border. Yeah, yeah, we're close. But I, I lived in Toronto as well. My brother was in Toronto for a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you like Windsor or Toronto better? Uh, Toronto. Yeah. In comparison. <laughs> Windsor's nice too. 
<laughs> Windsor's more American. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. It's like it's like Detroit or Michigan. It's like yeah, it's back, yeah, the backyard of Detroit. Hundred <laughs> mm-hmm. percent, man. I know people that like they just go across the border to grab some Chick Fil A or grab whatever. And I'm looking yeah, at them yeah. like, bro, really? And they can't even do that now because of COVID. But nah, you can. Yeah, funny, we used man. to go for lunch, lunch to Hamtramck or something like that. You know, Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. all the other places there. It's like little Arabia, you know, little Yemen. Mm-hmm. okay man let's let's create a scenario so you have a kid growing up today they're born into a muslim household and this kid's like six seven years old and from a very young age let's say his father is either not in the house his father works overseas because you know he's like oh i'm providing so you know let me work in saudi or wherever and uh you know he doesn't have a father figure growing up so who's he going to turn into for, you know, learning how to be a man? He's going to turn to mama. He's going to turn to society. He's going to turn to media. He's going to turn to pornography. He's going to turn to his, his friends. And let's say he's 18 years old now. And he's pretty much the opposite of what Islam would have wanted him to be. The opposite of what a real man as a father would have wanted him to be. And there's a lot of issues. You know, we can talk about, you know, how he got there. We can talk about, um you know, what we can do now. But the main thing I want you to answer right now um, before we go into this uh, is as a father, what are the main things that people are slipping on today that we're not being mindful of anymore? Okay. Um, I think there's there's a big misconception when it comes to to the world today and the way they look at parenting and specifically the role of fathers. And I I think, again, you guys can disagree with me. You know, I'm going to bring my my proof and my evidence, right? You guys can disagree. We don't all have to agree. And I know that, um, you know, checking the comments in my videos, a lot of people, you know, they'll they'll, they'll try to attack me. And I'm sure people comment on this video as well. No issue. Alhamdulillah, you know, it's okay. You know, as long as you you can back up what you say, then it's okay. Let's, Let's put it out there, right? And let the best argument win. You know, and I, I think that's something that we don't have these days anymore. But anyway, I think there's a big misconception because, see, a child is not raised by a father and a mother. A child is raised by a community. OK, and there's a there's a old proverb right? that the, they used to say the, you know, you raise a child, the village raises a child, you know, and you look at the life of the Prophet and the Sahaba. Again, that's our standard. We go back to it when people come and say, yeah, but this study says this and uh, so and so said that. I'm like, yeah, but have you actually done any research yourself? Do you know how research comes to be about? You know that you can fudge studies and there's depends. Many different companies will pay for studies to be made in a certain way and whatnot. So be careful with that, that, you know, just because something is researched or put out as an article is not the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, so be careful with that, right? Uh, I challenge researchers, okay, because going back, so can a child who is raised without a father be a strong male? Yeah, it can, because Imam Ahmed was, Imam Bukhari was raised by their mother, you know, what was the difference? There was a community around them. So his mom could point out so she used to put Imama on Imam Ahmed and send them to attend the lectures of some of the other. He says, look from his khuluq. You know, thousands would attend the, the, the lectures of different scholars. And Imam Ahmed would be dressed as a little sheikh going to the, you know, and his mom would tell him, you know. And there's many things you can see, like he's walking by himself. Uh, you know, he's being exposed to different things. I used to walk to school four kilometers one way, you know, when I was growing up in Romania. And that that made me who I am today. Today, we won't even let our kids go out in the backyard, man. You know, like we're so scared, right? It's, it's, it's crazy. So 
yes, a child, if, if the community has males who are strong and that can be good examples, be it the imam of the community, be it the neighbor, be it whoever, right? And people work together. And that's the concept of, of an ummah. You know, there's ta'awun, you, you collaborate. The problem is we don't have that, right? So, so what's the so then what, what you know do, do we just like smash the Muslims and then say blame the man and all that? No, it's we need to fix the problems from where they need to be fixed. You know, so yes, can a, a boy be raised properly? He can if there's a male figure and many male figures in the community who are real and the mother can point out as well as off going back to my initial problem that I said. If the woman has a proper aqidah, she's not going to be sitting around the house and say, you know, your father is not around. I feel so bad. I'm crying. You know, he's such a bad man. He left me alone because women do that. You know, whether they like it or not, they're going to be crying their heads out and whatnot and letting the kids hear and see that. So what happens is in those formative stages, the kids start developing this hatred of masculinity, this hatred of their father figure. Okay, I just give you the example of the, that Sahabia, that woman who her, her, her husband came from jihad and her son died that day. And she put him in a room and she dressed up for her husband and, you know, fed him. And he asked, how's my son doing? He said, she said, he's sleeping, which is true. She didn't lie. He was sleeping. He was dead. Okay. And she made love to him that night and she got pregnant that night. And only in the morning she told him, right, because... She had aqidah. She understood that that's, I'm not going to like crash down. My husband has been, you know, missing for two, three months, you know, establishing the deen of Allah. And now he comes home, knocks the door. The first thing I do is jump on the floor and, you know, crash down. You know what I mean? So because they had aqidah, they understood. So women will be rubbing into the face of the kids. They'll be using the kids. A proper woman who understands her deen, she's going to understand, okay, my husband, he might be in Saudi or something like that. That's another thing we can talk about, men going and working overseas. The reality is, though, that a lot of the Sahabas were missing for a long time, long periods of time from, from home. This is the truth. And one of the sheikhs actually did a study on how much was the Prophet actually spending with each wife, keeping in mind his military actions, his travels, and so on and so on. Okay? Again, the West today, we ourselves are conditioned to, oh, the man has to be like you know, at home more and this and that. It's not like that, man. It's not <laughs> like that. I'll tell you why it's not like that. Because the Prophet ﷺ didn't do that. And still, those Sahabas were the best. And many of the Sahabas who were raised within, like Abdullah bin Omar, you know, he was quite young, Abdullah bin Abbas, Abdurrahman, and many others who were young and who were raised and who were even born in Medina, some of them, so we do have that generation that was, you know, had the tarbiyah of the Prophet the tarbiyah of the Sahaba, you know, being raised. So, and they were the, the champions who brought the deen to the rest of the world after the Prophet you know, died. These were men, but they saw men and they were taken care by men, right? And their wives, their mother didn't, you know, rub it in their face that your father's a bad man and he's not here and crying all the time. You know, mama, what's wrong, mama? Are you crying about daddy? <laughs> You know, and they're like, no, but he left me. Oh, I don't know if he's coming. No, you could say your father is a real man who's establishing the deen of Allah. He's providing for us. You should be proud of him. Okay, that's a different conditioning. If he hears that at seven, eight years old, when his, his mind, his ID, his ego is still changing, 
neuroplasticity, the mind is slowly growing, the connections are being strengthened. So he's growing up thinking his father is a superhero who is working for the sake of Allah, who's providing. Well, why, how do you have a roof over your head? Because your father is breaking his back. How do you have a, you know, this and that? Because your father, maybe he's not the perfect guy. Look, uh, uh, Zubair and Asma, they divorced. They had issues. Uh, many of the Sahaba, the Prophet divorced, you know, the, 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 the Hafsa. I mean, there was problems. Don't think it was Jannah on earth. I don't know why people expect that it was Jannah at the time the Prophet It was not. I think we don't study the seerah. We pick and choose. Our imams give us the cute stories on, you know, the things that can make you laugh and joke and this and that. People don't study seerah and hayatul sahaba in depth or, you know, sadly, it's not like that because, oh my God, you have to be politically correct and you have to be careful. But in reality, bros, I think if we go back to that issue, if the woman is playing her part and she highlights the achievements of the husband in the eye of the child, whether the husband is there or not, it's not about quantity it was always about quality the prophet sallallahu subhanallah when ibrahim was dying he was not in the house yet he had to be called so he had to go he was already doing his thing so yeah he did he cried he did this and that and, and you know then life kind of moved on right and no one held it against you his wife didn't say oh you you were not in the house my child was you know passing right subhanallah you know like things are are happening you know what i mean so it depends on how we look at our situation and how we what do we highlight so if a woman is going to highlight that oh my husband is away and i'm suffering i'm crying this, that, then yes the, ch the child will grow up with trauma emotional trauma that's going to be inflicted there it's going to mm -hmm. hate masculinity a lot of them turn to homosexuality because they hate that concept but true manly men okay so then they go to like, oh, I feel like I'm a woman. I feel more feminine, more in touch with my femininity, you know. And a lot of the guys who are raised only by mothers around sisters will feel that, okay. It's not about quantity, guys. It's about quality. When that man shows up, whether it's, you know, every week, whether it's, mashallah, every two days, whether it's once a month, and the woman looks in awe at him and says, mashallah, you know, my husband, may Allah bless you. Fear Allah. Give us halal. Guys, you know, line up, respect your father, kiss his hand, okay, respect him, this and that. The guy sits with them, not like he's going to go on his phone and he's going to sit with them. He's going to love them. He's going to kiss them. He's going to put them on their lap. He's going to wrestle with them. He's going to spend the time that he's there with them. He's going to throw some boxing, throw a baseball, whatever, you know, like that's going to count. You know what I mean? And that's going to leave a huge impact. And when the son grows up, he's going to say, ah, my father, mm. And subhanAllah, you see this in like the Arab cultures a lot of time, you know, I don't know, growing up with, with the Arabs and the Bedouins, you know, there's this respect for the father and the, the male figure. It's changing now because they're being also attacked and, and destroyed by media and whatnot. But, you know, 10, 15, 10 years ago when I was teaching there, like there was still that, you know what I mean? There, there was still that. And, and I love that, you know, I, I really love that, seeing that. So I think, I, I think that's the problem. I think that's the issue. I don't think it's an issue of men not being present. Now, not to say that, yes, there are a lot of men who just run away. Now, that's a different story. Again, right? There's a lot of men who escape, who are cowards, who don't want to take on responsibility. We're not denying that. We are not denying that that exists. But we need to address the problem where it really starts. You know, it's not, you know, someone's fault, one person. There's just so many things that are interconnected, so many issues. And we really need to hit those issues in the head 
and try to solve them. And I think then we can actually try to make a change. But till then we're, we're okay, we kind of know what's the problem, but we don't have the correct medicine. We're not applying in the right way. That's facts, man. And I see that with women all the time, left and right in today's society. It's like when things are, are going south and it hits the fan with their man, instead of solving that and fixing that and working on that, they, they do this complaining thing that you said, oh, daddy's doing this or, or, you know, your dad's not home enough or this. And, you know, she can complain all she wants. And instead of us just being like, okay, she's weak, the person that's weaker is going to be the other man that comes by and he's like, oh, really? Your husband's not there for you? Oh, okay, don't worry. I'll be there for you. Or, you know, and it's like, it's ridiculous, man. There's men like that too. And I see that in women too. Like when things are good, cool. You don't see them on social media. You don't see them out They're They're focused. When things are, you know, not the things are turbulent with their man, they're posting a lot of provocative pictures on Instagram. You know, you know, you see them out in the clubs more. And this is this is this is an issue, man. This has to stop. But with that being said, I want to talk about how you said women got to give that man respect, the dad respect. But how can men become that man that is worthy of that respect? Well, see, again, if we go back to the concept of knowledge and we understand what a real man is. I mean, look, I know that there's a huge movement now, even among the Muslim guys who are waking up and talking about masculinity, about red pill, you know? And a lot of guys are going the red pill. Uh, see, that's not our standard, though. There are some good things there because it's linked to the fitra. And, you know, I think, um, you know, uh, Angel was saying, like, you know, he doesn't have a lot of experience. He was not talking about Islam, but he was talking just from a masculine perspective. Yeah, but that's that's exactly what we're saying. Like, there's a lot of connection because it deals with the fitra, you know, and the way men. So, be it Muslim or non-Muslim, men are suffering from the same issue, right? So, yes, the red pill has some good things in there, and you know, but for us as Muslims, we we fine tune things because of the the revelation, because of the fitra, with linked to the wahi, to Quran and Sunnah. So when we want to establish what is a real man, that question is, who is a real man? What is a real man? Well, then we need to look at the Prophet ﷺ, right? Because yes, the Prophet ﷺ was masculine. He was strong. He was, you know, uh, a person who was in shape and so on. But at the same time, he was in, in very much, you know, uh, an emotional person. There's hadith where he cries that his beard is wet. You know, they are, you know, he's, he's protecting orphan the women you know the the, the orphans the, the children you know I, this beautiful hadith where this little girl takes his hand and walks all over medina with him and just complaining and telling him things you know i mean he was a proper outright gentleman but yeah and you see sometimes some of these guys when they go into like masculinity you know women are this and women are that and trash and we just use them and throw them and some of the muslims are getting into that you know what i mean mm -hmm. because they've been their whole world their whole time 10 15 years whatever they were, you know, not men, they were boys. And now all of a sudden they took the red pill and they wake up and it's a reactionary movement. So what they do is they bump on, they jump on the other side and start pressing people. They start talking smack and the things that are not good. They start committing sins and they, because it's reactionary. See for Islam, masculinity is not a reactionary thing. It's not something that you wake up to. It's something that you have to get your tarabiyah in line with. You know, we have to put it into our, you know, curriculum, you have to put in education, our parents, the men have to understand. And it goes back to knowledge again, knowledge and application. So you look at the Prophet, the best example is the Prophet. So you look at that, you look at Abu Bakr, Omar, Uthman, 
all the Sahaba, Khalid bin Walid, one of my favorite, Hamza, you know, one of my favorite. Hamza was hunt, he was a lion hunter for God's sake, you know what I mean? He just smashes Abu Jahl, you know, he's just proper, you know, alpha, you know. But these men had ethics and standards, they had morals, they were not gangsters, you know what I mean? They were not like oppressors. They they were people when you would say fear Allah, like they would faint or something like that, you know what I mean? Like they were people who internalized the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it didn't make them weak. Today, you find the imam and the sheikh and so on. Oh, brother, I'm very humble, uh, brother. You know, I'm very pious, you know, this and that. Yes, mashallah, praying and knowledge. But when it comes to like someone, boo, you know, like, oh, you know, like they cannot stand up. <laughs> they, they cannot they cannot stand up against oppression. or And that's why we're all backing up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like. Like, you're right. So something happens and, and they, they chicken out, you know what I mean? They can, so, and that's why our Muslim communities are being changed so fast because some of these brothers who are in responsibility, they're not saying, heck no, man, this is my limit. You're not passing by. You're not passing by me. Oh, why? You think you're so cool? No, it's because there's a responsibility. You know, Allah SWT has given this amana to everything and everyone re uh, refused. But human beings take have taken it. So if you cannot do, if you don't have the, the strength, then step down. But the problem is, you know, if you don't, that, but that's that's it. That's our standard. Our standard is there. You have to have knowledge. You have to have bravery. You have to have application, right? So when we put that in perspective, I think we know what's a male and how, and we put it in our system. Fathers teach it. Imams teach it. Where is the khutbah about masculinity, bro? When was last time you heard an imam giving a khutbah about masculinity? You know, people will be talking about things that are like not relevant. You know, it's not about like quoting hadith and Quran. Yes, alhamdulillah. But how you connect that to something that is applicable or that's happening in our community today, you know, without compromising your deen, without washing things down, without, you know, it's like, I don't know, some of these khutbahs, subhanAllah, it's like, it's demand supply, you know. Okay, brothers, uh, wife's rights. Everything is about wife's rights these days, you know? Everything is about, like, what women, what kind of rights they have. Uh, what's going on? That's not what it's, what it's about wife's rights or men's rights or this. It's about what is true. What happened? How do we raise real men? How do we raise real women? You know, because, mashallah, today it seems that the girls are more masculine than the, than the men. You know, they start getting big muscles and start fighting and punching people and saying, I demand my right. And this is, you know, fem feminism is a huge, you know, cancer that's that's uh, affecting us. So I think we have the blueprint. We have the standard. We know what we have to do, but we're not doing it. You know, people, the ones who are responsible for educating the community are always saying we have to be politically correct. We have to be careful. Yes, I agree. I'm careful. I'm not you know, dumb. I don't jump in and start talking about weird stuff. But at the same time, if someone shows up at my house and wants to burn down my house, yeah, that's not going to go down without a fight, you know, like I will fight, you know, and right now we're in this intellectual fight that we need to take on because we're losing our boys and we're losing our girls. You know, we are losing. I get, I get kids coming to my, I got two girls the other month coming to my office and saying that they want to get married and they want to adopt a child. You know what I mean? And they're just 12 years old. And I'm like, well, how so? Well, you know, it just we feel like that, you know, and then you, you dig a little bit more and then you find they're watching some weird stuff on Netflix and whatnot. And then that's what they're thinking, you know. So it's a problem. 
And some people say, well, I don't see a problem. Yeah, heck, it's a problem. It's a huge problem. See, two girls coming into anyone's office and saying they want to get married to one another and adopt a child. See, that's, it's taboo in Western society to talk against that and to speak against that. It's, it's almost abnormal to resist that and feel some type of way about that. And we're conditioned in a way to just be accepting and be whatever. And here's the thing, at the end of the day, what do you, you want to, you got to compromise one at the expense of the other. You want to either have truth and, you know, struggle in Allah's cause and Rasulullah's cause and Islam's cause, or you want to study uh, struggle and go for conformity and political correctedness. And you can't have one at least fully without neglecting the other. And I go to khutbas too, and you're right, man. I see, I see no, you know, talks about masculinity, porn, nothing. And I see the same thing. Happy wife, happy wife. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, you, people have to be smart. You have to study. You have to understand how to talk about it. Yes, we're being opposed on many, but we allowed it. You know what I mean? The issue is that you can intellectually fight it. It's okay. And in the end, you know, the angels are going to ask when you pass away, what did you bring forth? And the people are going to ask, what did you leave behind? You know, right? these are two legacies. One you take forward, as per the hadith, one you're going to leave behind. You're going to be a yes, ma'am type of guy. You're not going to leave anything behind. And most likely you're going to compromise your deen. And you're not going to bring anything forward. Okay. And this is the sunnah of Allah. All the prophets had to stand their ground. You know, right? Uh, all the prophets, conflict is part of our nature. Conflict is part of our nature. Either you get good at it. This is a difference than, you know, violence and, and, and oppression. I'm talking about conflict. You know? Conflict has always been part of the human nature. It's how you manage that conflict, how good you get at it, and, you know, the way you do it. The Prophet ﷺ was a warrior. He had to. All the prophets, Musa ﷺ, everyone in the end, even Jesus, the Prince of Peace that they call had to turn over the tables and make a whip out of the courts and whip the, you know, the, the tax, you know, collectors and the, the people who are selling and exchanging money in the, in the market. You know what I mean? Uh, so it is what it is. You know what I mean? So when these people come, if we are weak and cowards and we give up, we will pay in a currency that's very expensive. And that is our children and our iman. And you see it right now. I'm not worried because I don't say let's, Let's kill this or let's do that. No, you don't call to that. That's it. We're, we're intellectually fighting you, uh, you know, and we're, we will, you know, and that's, that's just the way. Alhamdulillah, people are waking up. Alhamdulillah, many women are waking up. And, you know, they, they start saying things like, you know what, what you guys are talking about is, is very important. It is, man. All it takes is, though, for someone to stand up there and just speak the truth. And people will wake up. And those who don't, then that's their business. You know what I mean? But people do wake up. People do. People start with like, I don't like this. I hate this. Okay, makes sense. I think I need this. I want this. 100% I agree with you. Right? And that's what happened. Like I used to get crazy heat. When I put out the polygyny series, I know uh, Angel was talking about polygyny. Right? When I put out the, my polygyny series, man, that was like, I almost lost my job, man. I got a, a warning, you know? I got a warning letter from the board, board of directors you know, and I'm in a Muslim country, in a Muslim school. Okay. I'm in a Muslim country, in a Muslim school. I got a warning letter signed by the chairman of the board of directors tell, saying that I'm causing fitna. And I'm like, okay, so wait a second. So 
your sons and daughters going to Thai massage places, getting, you know, finishing massages is not fitna, right? And all the prostitution that I see around in your Muslim country is not fitna. But me talking about how there's a solution to this, you know, promiscuity, and it's called religion, it's a fitna. And this, you're a Muslim. I can understand if it's not Muslim, but you're a Muslim, right? And then with time, then with time, you know, sisters were attacking this and that. But then after quite some time, I started receiving messages. You know what? I got so upset at the beginning. I was fuming. I was throwing things in the house. I was just going to, you know, if I could see you in front of me, I'll probably stab you or something. But after watching all the series, I got to say, I agree with you. you know? So people will change. People will change because the fitra, you know, is, 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 is flexible. If we're being attacked from one side and these guys are pushing their agenda, then we will be pushed down. If we pull them up towards the truth, then people come. People come. Yeah. For anyone watching this right now, that's... Uh you know, let's say they're in the teens or they're, they're young adults, you know, in uh, just early adolescence, 12, 13, 14, all the way up to 18, 19, they're probably still living at home, you know, they're just learning how to, you know, get in touch with their fitra, get, get their iman right. Uh, what are some biggest pieces of advice you have for them? Okay. So as I said, again, I'm going to go back to the same issue. Number one, you need to seek knowledge. Like you need to seek knowledge, contextualize knowledge. You need to study the life of the Prophet specifically. Okay. If people are just teaching you how to recite the Quran and just tajweed and don't understand anything from Islam, then it's a big problem. Man. Alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed us to not study like that. We studied by understanding, you know, contextualizing. Sira was a big part, a huge part of our, you know, curriculum. And, you know, tying the ayat of Allah to those incidents that really, really made a huge difference. So number one, knowledge. Number two, you got to build courage, you know, and you will not build courage if you're comfortable, okay? I'm not saying some people, hey, you have some financial issues, maybe you're living at home, this and that. That can be a strategy. It depends on where and what's happening in your life, you know what I mean? I'm not necessarily going to look down upon you because people, some people are suffering. Some people are strong, this and that, but just life circumstances, problems, and so on. But, you know, you don't be sitting in that bed, waking up at 12, you know, 11 a.m. every day and so on. You know, get your back up, you know, make sure you have discipline. Islam teaches discipline. Like the concept of salah, you know, salatu ala waqtiha or prayer at its time, you know, as the Prophet said, this teaches you the greatest lesson of discipline. You know, things have to be done within a schedule. So wake up in the morning. I would say that's my greatest advice for a man to become a real man. Wake up in the morning early. Do it day in and day out, okay? That's number one. Become uncomfortable, okay? If you think you're comfortable, why? Why do I say that? Is that some, some red pill stuff? No, because the Prophet ﷺ did not have a comfortable life. The Sahaba did not just, oh, let us sit here and just chill, you know? No, they exposed themselves to things that are uncomfortable. When you're uncomfortable, you grow. When you're comfortable, you get fat. It's very simple. You know, it's very simple. Okay, when you're uncomfortable, you have to figure out ways to get out of that situation. You start thinking, your brain starts working differently. You look from different angles. Uh, you look at different possibilities. You know, your, your instincts kick in. You become more sharp. Okay, so become uncomfortable. Okay, get into martial arts. Get into combat. Learn how to fight. 
Okay, it's a big thing. All the Sahabas, every single, I keep repeating this, every single Sahaba knew how to fight except for one. There's only Hassan ibn Thabit, who was the poet of the Prophet who said, like, I can't, I can't hold a sword, you know? He was just, it was not in his fitra, you know? He just couldn't do it, okay? He would say himself, I'm a coward, I can't do it, okay? But he was fighting the jihad of the, of the media, you know? He would, be, he would be hitting the propaganda, all right? But all the Sahabas, men that we love so much, you know, if you think about Abu Bakr, Abu Bakr, you know, broke a few swords, okay? Uh, Uthman, he fought, you know? Uh, Omar Khattab was, was, was just proper, proper, you know, combat. Mm -hmm. So all of them were, were tough, man. You know what I mean? So it's part, it's, there's a difference between combat and knowing how to fight and violence. Violence is something where you're uncontrolled. You know, you have no control yourself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us how to control nafs. And the Prophet said, it's not the one who over, you know, who does you in wrestling or who beats you in wrestling. It's the one who holds his anchor that, you know, that's a strong person, right? So we, we put all these things together. You connect all the dots, take the hadith, not out of context, but put them in context. Then you understand that it's about, yeah, it's about a skill that you develop to become strong, you know. So I advise people, again, wake up, be uncomfortable, learn how to fight. Uh, invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. Allah says, Ya amanu naro. You know, save yourself first and then save your family from hellfire. Invest in yourself, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, you have to learn. You have to develop. Uh, you know, watch what you eat. You know, watch your clothes. Uh, take care. Be clean. Care about your look, you know, groom yourself. The Prophet said, Allahu Jamil wa Hibbu Jamal. Allah is beautiful and loves beauty. Okay. Uh, you know, you're supposed to show the ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on yourself. You know, Allah is, as the hadith says, He's happy when He sees the ni'mah, His ni'mah on His abd, on His servant. Invest in yourself. You know, don't let this, you know, these women, talk, oh, he's a, he's, a, he's a narcissist. You know, you keep hearing today these women throwing, you know, this whole word narcissism. He's a narcissist. He's a, well, if a man now, he, he cares a bit about himself and he pays some attention to himself, all of a sudden he's labeled as a narcissist, you know? And then when the guys are fat and ugly, they're like, oh, he doesn't take care of himself. I want a, <laughs> a handsome guy. I want the Ertugul. I want the, the Turkish drama guy, you know, who's a, a pretty boy, whatever, you know? Like, come on, man. Like, get, you know, get real. Like, you know, let the guy take care of himself. You know what I mean? So guys should be handsome. They should take care of themselves, should invest in themselves. And when you develop as a real man and you have the knowledge, the, the, the strength, the, the, the courage, and you, you risk and you're not fearful except of Allah, it benefits everyone in this world. It benefits the women. It benefits the children. That's the problem. We're suffering. We don't have real men. It's true. There are a lot of bad men out there who are abusing, who are cheating, who are running away from responsibility. That is true. Some of us were like that, maybe. Some of us have woken up. Some of us are coming from that background. And we know that lifestyle. And alhamdulillah, you know, praise be to Allah, it guided to this, you know. But this is the reality. Yes, there is a lot of bad men. The solution to fix these bad men is not to get a lot of bad women to balance it out, you know? Because women say, I'm going to also mess around. Feminism and all these reactionary movements. Oh, okay. No. The solution is to fix the men, to fix masculinity, not to reduce it. The solution mm -hmm. is to go back to the Quran, the Sunnah. This is what the world needs, you know? The world needs more real men. Hold on, hold on. Just to add on to that, I think that not only is it super important for men to start taking care of themselves and other men, because I mean, masculinity in and of itself is super important, but you outlined 
the importance of uh, the feminine role as well, the femininity and how like women, women play a huge part in this too. Cause at the end of the day, it's a, it's a cycle where it's like, if you have a man who's a bad man, he, he's toxic and then he does a woman dirty. Well then now she's going to become toxic and then she's going to treat some other guy who maybe he wasn't a bad man. Maybe he was good at heart and like, he was actually a good man, but then she does him dirty. And then now he becomes toxic and just keeps going back and forth, back and forth. So it's both. It's the man and it's the woman. Like you said in the beginning, like both of them have to be worked on. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, look, problem with the, with, with women that they're not feminine anymore. They're not taking care of themselves. They're not acting feminine as, as, as Anger said, you know, they get through a bad experience and then they try to pay it back to the other guy. I mean, I cannot tell you how many, cases i have where you know the woman just makes sure that she smears the guy's reputation now with social media it's so easy to just push it out on there oh sheikh so and so this guy so and so he did this to me here's a picture of our chat and here's this and that let me smash his reputation whatnot uh how many women call the police and whatnot and they say oh he hit me or something like that or or they use the kids or you know oh when it comes to their benefits they use the islamic you know uh, you know, rent, right? When it comes to uh, it doesn't work that way, then they use the non-Muslim law, you know? So many problems, bro. Like, I mean, I think just yesterday, a sister, a sister, a sister contacted me from the UK. She's a social worker and she's putting up, and I'll share it with you guys, the link. She's putting up a, a conference. It's called something like Bitter, Bitter Ex-Wives. She's a woman and she's working with women. And she's like, I see this vengeance in women, that they have to like revenge and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the same guy that messed them up. They can just, they just need to go for any guy to just, you know, smash him. And, and she said, it's such a big problem because they're, they're destroying lives, you know, bitter ex-wife, bitter, you know, uh, sisters who are attacking men and making a point to, to destroy their lives because they had a bad experience. You know what I mean? No, you gotta, you gotta understand that's thing. That's a thing. Whatever happened to you, we feel bad. But that's not how you fix it. That's not how you fix it, you know? And it's, it's mm. yeah, as, as Angel said, you know, it's, it's smashing the female, the femininity. Women are becoming more masculine. They're not attractive anymore, for God's sake. You know what I mean? It's like so hard to find a good woman that's attractive these days, you know? The way they walk, the way they talk, they're trying, you know, to be all cool, all tough and this and that. And then the women are like, there's, I can't get married. No one wants to marry me. You know what I mean? Yeah, we don't want to marry a man. You know, we're not, sorry, we're not gay. You know, we don't marry a man. We want to marry a woman. You know, we want to marry a nice feminine sister. And, you know, when you have that, that you know, that plus and minus together, then boom, you know? So, but if you have this, you know, very masculine female and just this, you know, man, and then two are just like not, you know, not, not matching, you know what I mean? And the other way around as well, you know? So, yeah. so uh, real quick, like, what are your some of your formal education that you've had regarding, uh, you know, university, you know, college, anything like that? Yeah, so I've done my degree in biology and psychology, neuroscience and cognition. Okay, and I've done research, as I said, in Parkinson's. So I've looked at, you know, uh, human cognition, behavior, uh, family uh, psychology, uh, early child psychology. Then I've done uh, education. Okay, a degree in education and curriculum. Um, then I've done a, a, a bachelor's in Islamic studies, in Sharia. 
Then I've done additional qualification in counseling, uh, in existential counseling, positive Islamic, uh, positive psychology counseling. Uh, finishing now a degree in positive Islamic psychology counseling here in Malaysia, uh, doing a master's also in education from University of Malaya, inshallah, hopefully finishing up this year in uh, Islamic curriculum and uh, counseling in Islamic schools. So alhamdulillah, Mashallah. I've always tried to continue, you know, like I don't, I try not to stop, try to keep, you know, doing something every, you know, few years. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, so Allah has uh, helped me to, to do that. Alhamdulillah, man. So it goes without without saying at all that you are well qualified to talk about mental health. So how does mental health tie into masculinity? Right. I think it's it's the the concept of if we are not what we're supposed to be, that we're empty. Something's missing, and when something is missing. Uh, you sometimes you cannot explain what, especially if you don't know. So a lot of men don't know that they're not real men. They just feel so empty. They just feel like they cannot fulfill their purpose. They hook up with a girl, or, you know, a wife or sister who's going to be, you know, wearing the pants. And a lot of guys come to me and they say, I'm depressed. I'm not feeling well. I don't know why. Like, they don't know why. So obviously, I'll ask a few questions as to, you know, their past, their background, their upbringing, their family dynamics. Uh, intimacy right away. That would be one of my first questions that I ask men is how's your intimacy with your wife? And right away will be like, non-existent. <laughs> I sleep on the couch, man. <laughs> Boy, take the couch, you know, sister say like that, you know? Eh? So, and I'm just like, okay, here we go. So there's, there's a, a void mental issue. Me- mental health is basically a void within the fitra. Okay. That sometimes you cannot explain. I don't know why I feel the way every single person out of the thousands, I've had thousands of cases, come to me and they say, I don't know why I feel like this. You know? So there's this void because why? Well, they're not fulfilling their fitra. They're not being masculine. They're not, guys are in the house now, you know? Their wives is, subhanAllah, women are demanding 50-50. You come and sit and do 50% of the dishes. You know, I left for you those two rooms to vacuum. I don't care you came back from, uh, from work and you worked your, you know, your back off. But Sheikh so-and-so said in a lecture that you're supposed to do half the work. You know what I mean? So the sisters are being empowered today by Imam, you know, Fulan. And they are, you know, pushing the guy. So the guy is not in his normal environment. He's not in his, his, his niche, you know. So he's in the house. You know, we're, we're, we're lions, we're, we're wolves, you know, we're from, from outside. And then you make us chihuahuas, you know, you put us in the house and we become chihuahuas, you know, and then of course, we're not going to feel well. You're not going to feel good at all. You're going to be constricted. So men have this void in their mind because they, you know, they don't feel they, you know, we're not out there. We're not in touch with nature. Women is different. They're fitra. They like to stay in the house. They're okay. Now, of course, with the propaganda, they're also coming up with like, I want to do this. I want to climb Mount Everest, all this stuff, you know, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) But this is not in their fitra. This is not. That's why women don't suffer from so much mental health. They complain a lot, by the way. Women are also more forthcoming about the problem. So they go for counseling. They talk to their friends. They backbite. They, you know, they have their little girl talks and whatnot you know, sleepovers, whatever, slumber parties, you know, talking about everything. And then they, they come back home and say, no, we don't do that. You know, 
you know we don't do that it's like it's like makeup you know it's like something behind and something else in the front you know right? so but for guys we don't come about we, we look sometimes a sign of weakness so a lot of men hold it inside so that's why most of the suicide cases that i deal with are 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 men and sadly you know we had a suicide case just a couple of weeks ago and now i'm dealing with another p- potential one you know men don't feel fulfilled they don't they're not in the right environment they're not functioning properly so this is tied to mental health and those thoughts that are inside their minds be it that they're from the outside inside or they're just being you know uh, cultivated from the inside for whatever reason will take them down and again because they don't seek help they don't come forward uh, or when they do it's very late of course, it's going to affect everything. They cannot do well in their work. They cannot do well in their family. Uh, they, they, they lose their, their body, their strength, everything. And then they're just another walking body, you know, and this earth consuming and just, you know, spending time. The clock is kicking, you know, the, the clock is ticking. So mental health is a huge problem. I think a lot of the Muslim communities also dismiss it as like, no, brother, just make dua, you know. It's okay, read more Quran, you know, stuff like that, which is okay, it's true, but how? How do you connect the Quran and the dua to solving mental health, you know? Like a lot of imams are not trained, or if they do get trained, they will train in the secular, non-Muslim, non-Islamic, you know, way of dealing with, right? So pop some pills, you know, what kind of things, all kinds of, you know, Freud or whatever type of psychology or philosophy they come from. And it's not solving the problem. It might patch it, but it's not solving the problem. You know, for us, mm-hmm. we know that the dean is the solution, but we just need to connect it properly. We need to contextualize it properly. We need to understand how, where, why, you know, the hikmah. And I think we can we can solve it, inshallah. But again, there our community is taboo. People don't want to talk about this. Uh, they don't want to. And, and if they do, as I said, they will uh, recognize psychology as a secular human humanistic study that is somehow superior astafullah, you know, to, to Islam, you know. Gabriel, on a side note, are you using a microphone? Uh, yes. But mm, okay. what, th- this one? Yes. I think it's not working right now. Why is yeah, it, I was uh, gonna say I've been hearing some like weird noise. I've been trying yeah. to pinpoint like who is it, and then I realize it's your beard rubbing on the mic. Oh yeah, it's probably from this one. Yeah, 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 it's your beard rubbing <laughs> on it. Mashallah, bro. <laughs> that be- it's the beard. It's the beard, man. It's sunnah. It's sunnah. So we'll let it be, inshallah. Well, yeah, um, it's, it's profound to hear this because. I'm, a, I'm, I'm pretty open, so I'm just going to say I have no problem with it. This is something I went through, right? The whole depression, suicidal tendencies, all of that, the whole nine yard. Unfortunately, you know, alhamdulillah for everything, I went through it. It made me the man I am today, alhamdulillah, and it allowed me, me to position, alhamdulillah, ya Rabb, but I did go through it. So it's, it, it's profound hearing it now after I went through it and being able to, to reaffirm and connect those dots. It's almost as if we have this biological disposition, this natural disposition, this state of being, in which we can either choose to maximize on it so it benefits our life or we can go against it and then that's an uphill battle and the issue with that is not only is it an internal thing but that internal mentality that internal state of being obviously will have external repercussions outside it'll affect your outside life for example if you're a person who is a male biologically naturally you're a man you're a male not man but you're a male but you want to act feminine 
let's say you get in a relationship with somebody, a female. If you start acting feminine, she doesn't want to be with a girl. So now externally, that's going to affect you. And essentially, that's what happened to me in the past because being raised, and I can say this firsthand, being raised with this westernized ideology, feminism, because feminism doesn't just affect women, it affects men. Because you can't have one without the other. So if women want to be more like men, that means men have to be more like women. If you go against that biological disposition, you're literally, literally going against your own self. And that is the most toxic. And, and that's, I'd say that's the highest form of self-hatred at that point, to be honest. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Mm-hmm. And the thing with masculinity, bro, and this is, this is to everyone, like, if your masculinity is suffering, your mental health is going to suffer more. And that, in turn, is going to make your masculinity suffer more. And it's just a negative feedback loop. It's an uphill battle from then on. Then on after that point, because as we know, mental dysfunction, mental illnesses, symptoms, whatever, it just makes you more turbulent. It's hard to be grounded. And as a man, if you want to be in your masculine, you need to be grounded. So having both of them in check simultaneously is key, as uh, Brother Gabriel mentioned. So in terms yeah. of mental health, what would you say that? Uh, the biggest issues you've learned from your experience are for people in mental health, what would it be, uh, you know, something like uh, psychosomatic, like would it be their diet, would it be something like, you know, they're not, you know, just present, uh, would it be heavy reliance on big pharmaceuticals, what would it be? I think it's, it's uh, a plethora of things, you know, and starting from our environment, you know, the pollution, the food that we eat, um, the, you know, the dynamics of our society, like just the, the nine to five driving every day, getting stuck in traffic, man, you know, people are just dying off. Right. Uh, people, the way people are at work, they're not happy with their jobs. Okay. Uh, the, the, I think the highest rate, heart attack rate is usually, uh, uh, it's, it's Monday morning at 7am. Okay. In the United States, if, if I remember the statistics correctly, right. Because people are going back to work. They hate their job. You know, they hate what they're doing, right? And if you look at it, this type of uh, social um, dynamic is something new. It's not very old, actually. Um, the way we know society today is, is something rather new. It's less than 100 years, the way it's set up, right? This is post-World War II, where things have happened the way they are with the big corporations, with nine to five, with, mm. you know, factory work on the line, all that right? Uh, two paychecks, you know, whatnot, right? Um, so, yeah, so environment, food, health, um, you know, social dynamics, relationships, um, and of course, the, the lack of purpose in life, you know, people doing things they don't like, just because we have to do it, you know, right? And it's, it's, it's killing people, you know, it's, it's, people are not fulfilled, you know, one of the highest um, you know, the most important thing in the human development is, you know, the, the concept of, you know, finding, you know, self-fulfillment, you know what I mean? Being part of something, a self-actualization, right? In the hierarchy of needs, right? Is where you know that you have a purpose and there are means for you to achieve that purpose. You feel like you, you matter and like you are actually on a path to achieve that. And it's not about necessarily attainment, like attainment comes difficult, you know, but progress, you feel you can gauge your progress in life, you can see it, 
you reward yourself. You know what I mean? Okay, I am doing what I like. That is why those very successful people in this world, you find the CEOs and the people have really made it, that they have a passion for what they do. You know, that's number one. Most of the people, if you ask them, all these great CEOs, all these big guys, they have a passion, right? Also, you know, they have the 5 a.m. club, right? They all wake up early, you know, right? I, I keep telling people, wake up early. The Prophet made dua, Burikali Ummati Fibukuriya, you know, the Prophet made dua that it, there's a blessing, there's a barakah in that time, right? So, oh, there's just so many things that affect mental health. Um, people rely on drugs. As soon as someone gets a little cough or headache, Panadol, right? Right away. It's available at 7-Eleven. It's available at every store, right? Right now. So easy. People are looking for quick fixes. Um, it's just, there's just so much. And we're not getting better. The world is not getting better. We need to get back to our fitra. We need to get back to our natural disposition. Allah has created this system, the human being in a certain way. And if that system is shortcut, it's not operating properly. It can power on, it might have certain functionalities, but you're not getting the best out of it. You know, you're not getting, it's like a car that hasn't, you know, changed its oil. You know, you got, you didn't change the oil. You didn't tune it up you're not going to get the best performance out of it, right? And, and you, it suffers. You can feel every bump, every turn, every this, every that, because it's not tuned up. We can't, we're kind of the same. You know, Allah is created in a certain way, and we're supposed to tune up, through, tune up our fitra through the deen, through our you know, revelation, through our masculinity, through femininity, not feminism, okay, for women. And then that's, you're within your proper operating range and you work well okay you don't work perfect necessarily not perfect no one is perfect but you work well but when you don't do that so all these factors what you see on tv what you see on the internet what you eat the air that you breathe uh, how much you stay in the house the fear that's put on you um, you know the news that you read all kinds of social media, the arguments in the family, the complications, all these things will all make an impact, right? Every, you know, people don't understand the slightest exposure to the slightest stimuli will condition you, whether you like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, they do condition you. And even if it's a very slight exposure, and then if you get exposed to a similar stimuli and again and again and again, then it becomes even more, uh, it has a greater effect on you. So this then in turn leads to mental health issues where people have a short in their system. They don't work properly. And, you know, for those who have suffered depression, like depression is, is almost, it, it's quite difficult to, to define unless someone has actually experienced it, you know? So depression is, you know, you can't turn off your brain. It just talks to you. It, what if this, what if that? Um, your mind is, is, is not functioning properly. There's thoughts that are coming into you from, you don't even know where. Of course, shaitan is right next to you, always whispering to you. Um, you, you just, you, you have this feeling 
where you don't want to live anymore, you don't want to move on anymore, things that matter don't matter anymore, things that made you happy don't make you happy anymore, some cannot sleep, some sleep too much, right? And you just cannot explain to yourself what's going on and you cannot remove yourself from this, from this, this, this uh, vicious circle of thoughts and feelings and you know, it's just impossible. So the West obviously will try to offset this by medicine, you know, and then it doesn't work. And medicine has side effects and people who take medicine, they become like vegetables sometimes. I mean, it's just, there's just so much happening when it comes to this cannot be easily just explained. Um, It takes so much work to deal with it and so much connection between a counselor or a person and, you know, and I think that's the best way to solve mental health issues is when you connect to someone and you don't feel you're the only one, because that's another thing about depression. You feel that you're alone. You feel that everyone else is having the time of their life and you are suffering, right? Mm-hmm. You are the only one that's going through this. Uh, same with pornography addiction, same with drugs, same, you know, people, you know, the shaitan wants you to lose hope. So when you connect to others who are having problems and who are, you know, or have had these problems, it just brings in a bit more, you know, feeling you're like, okay, I'm not alone, you know, in this world, there's others who have gone through it and it helps, but it's just such a complicated matrix of things that we really need to pay attention to. The communities really need to focus on. Uh, We need a lot of workers who can be trained, imams, and so on, because they're the first ones that usually get asked by people, isn't it? Right? The Muslims try to go to the imam or to the friends and whatnot. So we need we need a lot of attention to these guys, a lot. Mm-hmm. 100%, man. This will be one of the most important episodes so far for our male audience. All right? Females, definitely, they're going to get some value from their sisters, but this was definitely directed to men, nonetheless. You guys have anything else you want to say? Uh, yeah, I wanted to say for like the past half an hour that this is going to be another one of those episodes where like you think, okay, this is a good clip. This is a good clip. And then you just realize the entire thing is one amazing clip and you take it all or, you know, you can get benefit here and there, but you got to take it all because there is not, there literally not a dull, there is not a dull moment, mashallah. And I want to say, I want to add that this brother, as well as the other brothers we had on the podcast up to this point, this brother, mashallah, me personally, I'm going to say definitely somebody to look up to. For many reasons, mashallah. So us, may, may Allah reward our brother here. Allah forgive us, inshallah. I mean, I mean, you're up. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean. So, brother Gabriel, if people want to get more of you, where can they find you at? Okay, so I'm mostly active on Instagram and Facebook. Okay, just if they type in Gabriel Romani, they'll probably get uh, my stuff, inshallah. Okay. And you got yeah. a YouTube channel too. I do, yeah. It's, it's mostly just for backup stuff, but mostly active on uh, on Instagram. Actually, and perfect. And, then uh, I'm Facebook. just gonna find your. I'm gonna find your Facebook, Instagram, and your YouTube. Inshallah, I'm gonna link it down in the description box. And uh, yeah, I know, man. Why don't you close it off for us today? Nah. <laughs> yeah, bro. You had that look on your face, like you've you've been wanting to close off an episode. So well, I gotta let give me you the just service. let me let me just add one little two cents here. Um, I want to agree with Gabriel with what he said about um, that we should be training men 
or we should have men that are training, you know, more so in the sense of uh, combat. Because um, it's not for violence. It's not so we have guys out here fighting with every other guy. But it's more so like, can you defend yourself? Can you defend the people you're with? Like, are you secure with yourself? And let's be honest, nine out of 10 guys are going to say, they probably, they might say, yeah, but, you know, deep down, they're, they're questioning their head like, oh, I wonder if I actually can defend myself. I wonder if I can, you know, take care of these people that I'm with. And I feel like that would be um, not just a big change in terms of masculinity, but also a big change in terms of uh, the mental health aspect. Because if guys have this security in themselves that like, you know what, I can, I can defend myself. I can take care of these people that I'm with. Like there's, there's a certain level of masculinity that comes with it. There's a certain level of assurance and just confidence and overall confidence, well-being yeah. that comes with that. So like, I, oh, I really man. do. I agree 100%. You know, and, and going back then, you know, the Sahaba weren't weak. The companions weren't weak. Like, they were warriors. They did what they had to do. And like, bro, you have the community nowadays. And I'm, let's, bro, let's, let's go even further than the Muslim community. Let's talk about just men in general. Like, nine out of ten men don't know how to defend themselves. 100%. They're using, they're using self-defense weapons. They're using knives, using guns. And look, there's nothing wrong with knives and guns, but it's like, if you only had your hands, if you only had your body, what can you do now? And if you have a stick in your hand, what can you do now? You know, like, can you use whatever it is that you have with you? Can you use nothing that you have with you? You feel me? I feel like I'm rambling here, but y'all understand oh, what no, I'm no. trying to say. I hear it, man. I hear it. Yeah. Look, guys, uh, if you guys remember when uh, putting aside the permissibility of that, when Habib fought uh, McGregor, right? Man, do you know how many Muslims were watching that fight? Muslims felt that that is the that is the the representation of, of the fight between iman and kufrman. You know, what I mean? like we we as imams and and du'at, like we got so many questions. So many of the scholars were saying, you know what? I'm not even going to talk about the halal and haram. This was a war, and we won this war. Like so many ulama, bro. Like people gave lectures after, you know. Because so many youth woke up that next day, bro, with a sense of, you know, accomplishment and desire to want mm. to be better, you know, as a Muslim. And because it's the fitra, bro, putting aside the, the, the environment of the UFC and what happens and hitting the face and all that. I'm talking about just what it represented. You know what I mean? So many young men that I know connected to that. And change their life because of that, you know, just because he would say, you know, it's like not me, it's Allah or something, or makes a Jew or something, you know. And it's it's such a big thing, right? And I'm sure, I'm sure many men, okay, many men are gonna watch, you know, McGregor fighting tonight, you know. Uh, I know, I know they're gonna watch it. Why? Because see, sadly, instead of using as 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 Angel said, using you know, combat for the right reasons, we've made it entertainment and, you know, like, look, you can, the fitra is still there, but it's like, what the heck is the purpose? You know what I mean? <laughs> so we used to have proper, you know, purpose for this as the Sahabas did and men still, as Angel said, let's put aside, you know, just go to men in general, men have this need, 
And if they don't know how to do it, and there's no ethics and morals, i.e. Islam, to control it, then of course it'll be like the bar fights, the smashing football games, the UFCs, and all this entertainment stuff. Yeah, mm. beat his, you know, go kill him and whatnot. Because, you know, the fitrah is going to manifest itself. Imma halal, imma haram, you know? You choose which way you're going to go. So definitely, definitely, this is a very, very important point. Rob, real you. quick, what's the time? It's almost 11 o'clock. It's like five minutes to 11. I'm going to let you ask your burning question that you've been asking me before you revert it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You already knew I was going to ask you, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't, listen, I wasn't going to ask this question, but it just came what up. What better time than now, man? It's been love. better time, right? The time is now. And Gabriel, so big question for you. And this probably does not have an answer. This is probably very subjective. And um, we won't have like a clear-cut answer for Myself, personally, and for all the other dudes that are wondering this as well. But would you say, would you say that the ruling on the striking of the face and um, no bodily harm, do you feel like those two rulings are a big contributor to the, I guess I could say the lack of, um, the lack of combat experience and that self-assurance in Muslims because, because training, number one, is very specific in the sense that what you train is what you are implementing, what you are ingraining in your subconscious. So if you're, if you're training to jab the face and you're not actually training to hit the face and you're not training to avoid strikes to the face in a real life situation, you're not going to be able to utilize that. It's like Abu American said, he, he was doing Taekwondo for years. And when they spar in Taekwondo, they get like two inches away from hitting the person's face. And he said that he got into a fight on the street. And every time he went to hit the guy in the face, he was two inches away from his face. Can you believe that, bro? So if, if we're thinking about this, if we're thinking that everything is ingrained like that, right, that's what martial arts is. And number two, you have to go through some kind of bodily harm or to a certain extent in order to progressively get stronger and be able to learn even more. And it's kind of like working out, you know, you're tearing the muscle fibers in order to rebuild them. And then if just me little, like side note here, if you think about the Sahaba, when they were training for war, like I doubt they were not striking each other. I'm sure they weren't using a real sword, but I'm, I doubt that they were um, using a wooden sword and then not hitting each other at all. You know, because it's like you have to train for what's to come. Mm-hmm. So, like, do you feel that because of those two rulings, it's actually contributing to Muslim men being a lot weaker and a lot more um, insecure in themselves because they don't have that combat experience? Because they feel like, ah, oh, well, I can't do this because it is haram. And then now you have Khabib, or Habib, I should say. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not justifying anything he does. I'm not justifying anything I do. It's just a simple question, bro. And like I said, it's a yeah, very subjective a very, one. It's a very good question, mashallah. Okay. Uh, while I'm talking to you guys right now, I have a severely broken rib, my left side here. It's been two weeks now. Alhamdulillah, it's recovering. Uh, we, we spar hard, man, here at uh, Izza MMA. Um, yeah, and um, 
look, I believe that strike in the face as per the hadith is haram, okay? Um, but in the context of just like slapping someone, hitting someone in the face, I believe that training is a different context. And if you're not going to train within the correct context, within as close as possible to real combat, you're not going to be able to actually uh, do anything. You know, as one of the uh, soldiers said that we used to train under the conditions of war. So war had no effect on us. You know what I mean? It was just the same. So personally, um, what I do, I'm not going to push on anyone else, but I think the, the meaning of the hadith is specifically to hitting someone in the face, just like that. It's not about training with the intention to really protect the ummah, to develop yourself, to protect your family. I don't like to shadow box. I, I work mostly bag and spar because I don't like to hit the, the air. You know what I mean? So when we fight with the brothers, we fight hard. We love each other. We hug at the end, but some will wa walk with a broken rib, uh, you know, maybe like, a, you know, broken, whatever it, it happens, you know, but that's just the way it is. We, we try to pat up. We try to, you know, to, to go not too hard, but it's not going to be light. That's for sure. It's not going to be light at all. And I think you're totally right, Angel. I think a lot of people, because of that, they're not developing themselves or they're just, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just different, man. You know, it's different that when you, when you fight properly and it's not just about the striking skill. It's about the intensity of the moment. There's a lot of guys who know how to punch the bat, but when they meet on the street, if something happens, it's the mental state. You're not prepared. You don't know how it feels to really get hit hard. And really, you know, as Mike Tyson says, right? everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face, you know? Everyone's got some fancy move, you know, or some spin kick or something like that till someone actually gives you one, you know? clocks you one you know, and they're like oh what the heck happened you know it's like different everything changes right so if your mindset is not trained for combat as close as possible to the reality you're not gonna be able to react i've been into many street fights that's just the way i grew up and i've gotten beaten up many times i've lost a lot of fights okay i've gotten severely beat up even though i was a very very good martial artist from a very young age but it was theory and theory is nothing to do with what happens on the street in real life. Even sparring, you know, it's not the same when you your adrenaline is popping up, when you got another three guys around you and you don't know who's going to kick you and, you know, you get tunnel vision. It's, it's totally different. So the closest you train, the closest you train to reality, the better it is. You know, right? so again, I'm not saying to people, I'm not going to fight. I'm just telling you, like, this is kind of what I do. Uh, I train hard, you know, sometimes it hurts and we hit, we hit the face, we hit the head, we hit everything and we love each other after. And, you know, like, but man, when I walk out of that gym, bro, I feel like a man. I feel oh, yeah. alive. I feel understood, alive. Understood. Yeah. How many times are you training that hard? Um, we spar we're hard sparring, once yeah. a week, once a week hard. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you should definitely periodize it and probably leave hard sparring to, like, once or twice a month. Yeah, once a week like, hard. Yeah, I mean, I just, I feel like 
if you do hard spar like that to where you're hurting each other, like broken bones and stuff like that, then that's kind of like taken away from your training time. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the rib thing, it happened now. I think last time it was quite some time ago. So it's not like every day or every week that we're walking away with broken <laughs> ribs. But yeah, I mean, if you don't defend yourself and you don't putting up your hands properly, then you're going to feel it. No doubt. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to reiterate the points on, I'll show you guys. Just... I'll show you guys here. Let me let me take you for a little. Yeah, go for a little roller tour. If this this is uh, our office, by the way. Okay, nice. this is where we do our our DAO videos and everything. And let me just open up the line really fast. This is our our dojo here. Bag. We got, you know. Wow. So, you know, enough space to spar and everything. It's like, it's quite big, alhamdulillah. We have four bags. And, uh, you know, like our sparring stuff here and whatnot. Yeah. That's what's up, man. Yo, I know we go crazy in there. Yeah, man, I love martial arts. You guys are welcome, man. Come come to, uh, when you come to Malaysia, inshallah, when everything opens up. We do some uh, some nice traveling, inshallah. Bro, inshallah. inshallah. Yeah, and just to reiterate this whole video, none of this was to constitute any medical advice. You know, there's no licensed physicians here. Uh, quick disclaimer, and no fatwa, no rulings. This is just four brothers just having a discussion. Uh, Rami, you got anything to say? Yeah, um, I, I think I can add to the that point, inshallah. So firstly, I want to say that the 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 issue of habib and that fighting and stuff it's not just the possibility that striking the face might be haram if you take the f- entirety of the ufc fighting for money yeah. ringside girls even men's aura is showing men's aura yeah. is showing and fighting not for self-defense but just for entertainment agreed, All of agreed. These and more are issues issues agreed 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 yeah. Yeah, so when people say, you know, heavy fighting and UFC and this and that is an issue, it's not just the punching of the face. And also, also I want to add in terms of rulings in Islam, I want to point out something very specific. The Prophet, he sent a group of Sahaba to travel. And he said, don't pray Salatul Asr until you get there, right? Don't even stop to pray Asr, right? And some of the Sahaba understood this as I will not stop moving. And I will not stop to pray until I get there. And some Sahaba understood it as he means just get there fast, right? So some stopped and prayed Asr and then kept going. And some didn't stop. Some went and they fin- they prayed Asr when they got there, right? And ended up missing Late, it. Yeah. 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 So when they got back to the Prophet, they asked about this. What did you mean? And he looked at one half, the half that, you know, didn't pray that walk there. He said, you're right. He looked at the other half that prayed and then kept going. He said, you were right. So it's not always a clear cut. This, that, the other. Yeah. And sometimes a hadith may sound, the Prophet I'm saying, under no circumstances can you ever do this. But in reality, as the brother mentioned, context is vital and crucial to the Quran and to the hadith. That's why we take all of it. And it's not us, it's the scholars who have been studying it for a lifetime, right? Under yeah. people who studied it for a lifetime. They take the entirety of the Quran and Sunnah as much as they can and they apply the proper sciences to derive a ruling. I just wanted yeah. to add that. Yeah. I think that's uh, that was basically you saying you wanted to end it. Mm-hmm. Should I end it then? Mm, yeah. All right. 
Okay, but you have to, you have to, what, what, what should the, uh, the people who made it this far comment down this time? Mm. Yeah, last time was, uh, was what? It was a fasting video, right? I, I think... don't remember. I don't remember, man. All right, if you made it this far, uh, write down below. Dojo. So Hashtag dojo. Defense is from the fitra. Just put hashtag know. dojo, bro, because he showed his dojo. So if they made it this far, don't know because they saw don't the know. dojo. 100%, man. <laughs> All right, end it up, bro. All right, with that being said, we thank our, bro- our brother Gabriel. May Allah bless him. Check out his socials. Amen. And again, one more time, what was that book you mentioned you wrote? A jur- Journal of a New Muslim. Journal of a New Muslim. If you are interested, check it out. Inshallah. We'll link that. We'll link that too. Inshallah, I personally want to read it. So with that being said, may Allah bless you all. Thank you all for watching to the end. This has been a gem. May Allah bless the brothers here. I mean, Allah elevate uh, everybody and make us all, you know, rijal, real men, inshallah, and real men. Uh, and real women, Allahumma amin. So that being said, Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasrakina adhab nar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.